Sasswa is a show about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, the hopers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit our Facebook page. Sasswood, a show about Bigfoot. I am one of your hosts, Mark Mansky, and typically this would be the time that I introduce my son, Andy. However, he is not with me today. Due to unforeseen circumstances, he and my wife are on a little bit of a road trip, and one thing that I can say about that is that he is doing some research on this trip that I think will bear some fruit for a future episode that I think that you will like a lot. So, While that changes the nature of tonight's show quite a bit, um, I think that you will like the results when they finally come around, uh, having to do with some interesting reports that go back somewhat of a historic nature in Indiana. So look forward to that. I'm going to go over to the Sasquet News Desk and hit a few items before getting into the meat and potatoes of tonight's show. Uh, First of all, I'd like to let you know that two days from the time that this episode posts, which is to say Thursday, March 2nd, we are going to be part of Small Town Monsters Live. It is a Facebook Live show that you can pick up through the Small Town Monsters Facebook page at 7 p.m. We're going to be broadcasting live from the studios of Wadsworth Community Radio. And just a quick shout out to our listeners on 97.1 FM. We're looking forward to returning to the studio for another Q&A and whatever else we feel like talking about. But uh, also should let you know that that's going to be converted into podcast form. So that's going to be available as well. And we're looking at a monthly basis for those to be released. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Again, this is Thursday, 7 p.m., Small Town Monsters Live, go to their Facebook page, and you can pick up the show. While we're talking about Small Town Monsters, we are in the home stretch of the Kickstarter to fund the 2017 movies Mothman of Point Pleasant and Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. And at this point, the project is well over 200% funded. However, that means good things for those who have not yet backed. There's still time for you to do so. And if you do, not only will you receive, uh, and this is over the $25 level, not only will you receive a signed poster about uh, Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, but you will also receive the soundtrack in CD form to Mothman of Point Pleasant, which is, from all the, the... things that I've heard about it and talking to Brandon, it sounds like it's going to be a next level effort on his part to uh, pick up sort of the spooky, unearthly vibe of the Mothman story in musical form. So that goes to everyone who backs at a $25 level or above. And so if you haven't backed yet, uh, maybe that will be a, a little bit of incentive for you to do that going to be some a couple really good projects and a, certainly a departure from the straight Bigfoot reporting that those documentaries have been thus far, but they will prove to be exceedingly interesting. And uh, so that is pretty much the last you'll hear us talk about that on the show because the Kickstarter is almost wrapping up. One thing I do want to say also to sort of whet your appetite about a future event, and that is we have been talking with the Willoughby Hills Public Library about doing a live event uh, combined, combining the forces of Sasswat and Small Town Monsters, and we're looking at a two-day event where we'll be there on consecutive evenings, and I'm not going to release all the details quite yet because they've yet to be finalized completely. But what I can tell you is that if you are in the Willoughby Hills area, a general vicinity of Northeast Ohio, you will want to be setting aside a couple dates early on in July and pretty much immediately following the 4th of July. So as soon as we get finalized plans on that, We'll be talking about that on the air, but what we do have is in store 
and this is all very loose at this point, but we're thinking about having night number one be presentations and Q&A, night number two being uh, viewing the movies at the Willoughby Hills Public Library. And what's really cool is that they have really been a friend to Seth Breedlove, Small Town Monsters, and myself. Back in the day, they did a uh, library presentation there, What I think when Minerva Monster was coming out. And I will uh, once in a while go into the Willoughby Hills Library and talk to Mark behind the desk there. And they always talk about that particular uh, event as one of their most popular, well-received special events that the library has held in the recent past. So we're excited to return and uh, hope to see you there. As I said, uh, we'll get that information to you as quickly and efficiently as we possibly can. Speaking of library presentations, what you're going to hear tonight is an audio file that I took in October of 2015. Doug Waller of Sospi gave a really good presentation at the John McIntyre Public Library in Zanesville, Ohio. And SOSB is an acronym for Southeastern Ohio Society for Bigfoot Investigations. Doug is pretty well known in Southeast Ohio as being a key person, a person that you want to call if you have some sort of um, event or experience that uh, suggests Bigfoot was involved. And you'll hear about many of his uh, experiences as an investigator in the presentation tonight. Uh, Shauna Parks, who is also part of SOSB, is with him, and you'll hear her on the audio as well. At a certain point near the end, I have also attached a five-minute segment that we got from a Cabela's presentation that Doug did, and uh, that was back in March of 2015. This was the Cabela's in Wheeling, West Virginia. And um, it's really interesting to me because the that particular Morgan's Knob report that he's going to talk about, uh, Morgan's Knob is a trail at Salt Fork State Park. And the, the amazing thing to me about this particular case is that it is a trail that I and Andy and other members of my family have hiked on more than one occasion. So when they give details as part of this case, it is uh, kind of a thrill, really, to think about it because we know exactly the landmarks of which they speak. And there's just something about that. I don't know if, hopefully you've had an experience along those same lines where there's a famous or a, a reported case and you have been able to go on site and sort of look around and think about the fact that there was a, uh, allegedly, there was a Bigfoot uh, that was sighted or heard uh, in that very vicinity. And that's very exciting. It's it's very interesting to put yourself in the the person's shoes and try to get a sense of maybe what they experienced uh, at the time that they had their sighting. So anyway, uh, that is at the end of the recording. The other thing I just wanted to say, and I guess this is sort of a, a just a personal aside more than anything else, the um, October 2015 library presentation in Zanesville was taken during somewhat of a tumultuous time in my life and in the life of my family because I had interviewed for a new position and was contemplating moving and completely uprooting and coming back to the Northeast Ohio area. So in the middle of all of that, we found out about Doug Waller's appearance at the library, and we made sure we were there that night. And the reason that I share that with you is just because it was a the strange sensation of a Bigfoot presentation at the library being sort of an island of normalcy in the midst of an otherwise sort of uh, swirl of thoughts about moving and is that really going to be feasible and, and all the thoughts that you have when you think about, you know, completely changing course and direction in your life. So as odd as it may sound, uh, 
Bigfoot and experiences and, and alleged evidence and all that stuff was sort of a, a normal port in the storm for us at that time. And also, I should say that if you're listening very closely, if you're listening with headphones on, you'll get a little bit of a taste of what it's like to sit by us during a presentation of this nature, because uh, there will be whispers and maybe a few chuckles here and there. And uh, maybe even at one point, you'll hear Andy do his best Ohio Howl impersonation. So uh, it's really just sort of a slice of life recording for me and uh, one that I've hung on to, obviously, for a couple years. So without any further ado, uh, this is Doug Waller and Shauna Parks of Sauceby giving you uh, quite a bit of the flavor of Bigfoot hunting in southeast Ohio. Okay, uh, I want to thank everybody for coming out this evening. We're going to give you a, uh, a little talk on how I got started in this, and let me introduce myself, by the way. I'm Doug Waller, and I'm with the Southeastern Ohio Society for Bigfoot Investigation. I'll shorten that up, the acronym is called SOSPE. Uh, we're out of Guernsey County, Ohio, one county east of here, and this is my associate, Shauna Parks. And we've got another Sawsby member in the back up here, April Beal Tate. She's taking a few pictures. Um, we come from uh, Guernsey County, and Sean and I both work at the library over there. And we started doing these library presentations uh, two or three years ago, and they've become very popular. We did four or five the first year, and we did 24, I think, last year, and we're up in the teens this year. And if you've got one of these papers, you'll see we've, we've got a very busy fall schedule coming up. We're going to be all over the place. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, a little bit about our group, SOSPE, and how I got started in this, uh, some of the investigations we've been on, and um, some of uh, what we feel is evidence that we can convey to you, so if you want to do any searching on your own, uh, you can uh, know what might be really pertinent evidence or what might be man-made or even natural occurring. <coughs> I became interested in the Bigfoot phenomenon back, uh, I think my first recollection was back in the 70s, yes? Oh. Yeah, we can take it down. Yeah, just set that in this morning. Back in the 70s, there was a creature that was seen in the state of Missouri that they called the Missouri Monster, and they shortened it up for Momo is what they called it. And that was my first... Uh, <coughs> first taste of Bigfoot, first time I was aware of it. I, I started at the library in Guernsey County in 1992, and I was like a kid in a candy store because I, I started seeing all these cryptozoology books coming across the desk. And I said something to Shauna one day about one of the books, and she said, well, what does cryptozoology mean? And I said, it's a study of hidden animals. And she says, hidden like what? I said, well, I like Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and things like that. And she said, oh, I, I like that too. And I said, well, every time something like that's on TV, I try to, try to watch it. And then I told her that her uh, Avon lady had a sighting out at Salt Fork and she wasn't aware of that. So we got a hold of the, uh, the lady, her, her, name, her last name was Nielsen, and she and her husband had a sighting at Salt Fork State Park in uh, August of 2004. Now this is, a, this is a picture of a map. It's the same one that we have on the cardboard over here that we just moved down. And it's got different colored pins in there that represent different happenings, whether it was a sighting or someone heard a scream or found tracks or whatever. So uh, we went out to the park and 
This is a picture of the actual place where the, Mr. and Mrs. Nielsen had their siding. It was, uh, at the time, it was just a picnic area. And uh, their story is actually, it was on the internet, but they were out there having a picnic in August and had this siding. They, they, they ate their lunch and they had a little dog with them. They were the only ones up in the picnic area and uh, everything was very quiet and they'd been hearing some kind of a noise and they couldn't identify what it was from. They thought maybe it was some kind of a bird and uh, Mrs. Nielsen kept asking her husband what kind of bird that was and he said I have no idea. I've never heard a bird like that but I think that's what it is. So when they finished they took a little hike down in the woods and they started down this trail and where it looks like a, the little clearing down there, they saw the creature standing there kind of sideways on the bank. And it was, at the same time they were looking for it, it was looking for them. And Mike threw his hand up and pointed and said, there it is right there. And just as Lisa watched where he was pointing, she saw the creature turn around and walk away. Well, they turned around and walked back up the hill at a fast clip, and their little dog was with them, and it was scared to death. And they heard that noise again, and it was following them. So that really gave them some concern. So they got back up to the top of the hill where their picnic basket was and grabbed everything and ran for the car. And uh, we found out about it, and they took us out and showed us where the sighting took place. And, so we've been doing this ever since. Um, in 2008, we started our group, our Sosby group. We have, uh, the very first meeting was November of 2008 at the Byesville branch of the Guernsey County Library. We had, I think, 25 people. We have since moved to the Crossroads branch, which is right off of Interstate 77 North. And we've had as many as, I think, 70-some a couple times. Um, when the weather's good, like from May up into October, we combine the meetings with campouts out at Salt Fork at the group camping area. We've got one more of these coming up. I believe it's uh, this coming weekend, is that correct? And that'll be the last one for this year, and then we'll go back into our indoor meetings at the library and we're going to try to have one of those in uh, early no November 7th I guess is the date of that. If any of you, probably most of you are, if you're on the internet you can access our Facebook page and get our schedule of when and where we're meeting and what kind of activities we're having next. Uh, besides meetings and campouts. We've also assisted with Boy Scout events. Uh, we had a conference this year down at uh, Burr Oak State Park. We're going to be speaking at a conference in uh, Chautauqua, New York in another uh, week and a half. Uh, Cabela's over at Wheeling. Uh, I spoke over there. This will be the third year coming up this year. So we uh, we're quite active. We do investigations if somebody should call or email us, you know, contact us about activity around their property. We will try to send somebody out. I'm kind of gimpy right now. I had knee replacement surgery, so I'm not getting around too good, and I've been passing some of this off to some of my friends to have them do it. There was just a, a lady just this last week over in Guernsey County that thought she had some Bigfoot activity, and so I sent this fella over there last weekend to check that out. So if anybody here has anything like that on their property and they want to let me know about it, or if you've had a sighting or an encounter that you would like to talk to me about, if you'll come up after the presentation and give me your name and uh, phone number, I'll get a hold of you. Uh, what we want to do now is discuss what we feel is evidence 
uh, tangible evidence. Now, one thing I like to always bring up in these presentations is I'm a I'm a voracious reader. I've read about a hundred and close to 160 books on the subject of Bigfoot. That being because I work at a library and I've got access to these books and, you know, when I uh, exhaust my sources, we'll send a fax to the state library and get books sent in. But one of the best ones that I ever read was a book called The Locals by Tom Powell. And uh, as soon as I read it, well, actually, before I even finished it, I knew that I was going to end up buying a copy of it, so I did. That's what I do. I try to read them at the library, or, you know, order them from the library first and read them. And then if it's something I really like, then I'll try to buy a copy. And since I've written a couple books now, when I go to these conferences, a lot of times I can trade the other authors book for book. But The Locals is a very informative book, and there's a, uh, there's a chapter toward the back, if Shauna can put that page up. Um, can you read some of that? Uh, these are some of, some of the examples of evidence that you might not even be aware of that's evidence. I mean, if you find tracks, or yeah, if you see one, or if you hear screams, that's pretty obvious. But some of these other ones aren't so obvious. Some of the examples of evidence mentioned in the locals are uh, things you may hear, smell, or feel. Children claiming that something is watching or spying on them while they're playing. A distinct feeling of being watched while you're in the woods. A very strong odor that resembles some combination of rotting garbage, a dead animal, wet dog, etc. Sound of something moving outside your window at night. A suddenly very quiet woods devoid of the usual bird, <coughs> critter, and bug sounds. Things that come up missing, such as livestock, missing horse grain, missing food from an outdoor freezer, missing milk. Things that you may find, such as dead wild animals or livestock found in nearby woods. Uh, piles of bones or feathers neatly placed. Very large animal feces piles found on property. Things that you may find that are damaged, such as electric fence wire. Uh, bent and twisted trees found along trails and roads. Bent gates that do not have the look of vehicle damage damage to house siding or window trim. I don't know if any of you have encountered anything like that, but um, some of what she just mentioned is uh, talked about in, well, I know my first book, Standing in the Shadows. Um, there's a story in here about the uh, Ringer family. I think we've got pictures on here. I met the the Ringer couple, oh, maybe seven or eight years ago at another Bigfoot meeting, became friends with them. We were invited out to their home, and uh, the, the gentleman who has since passed on, his name was Don, he kept a, what they called a... Uh, a Bigfoot diary of all the activity that had taken place on the property. And uh, here's a picture of it up here. It was actually a, a legal size notebook and he wrote uh, anything that happened on the property such as uh, it tells when they moved back from Columbus onto the property and then they started hearing screams coming out of the woods at night that they would uh, find tracks in the yard in the snow uh, where the creatures had been in the barn and subsequently after being in the barn the cattle were afraid to go back in the barn they'd stand out in the pasture and bawl and wouldn't go in and they couldn't understand why they wouldn't come in to, to eat well it was because the Bigfoot had been in the barn the night before to get in out of the, the cold weather and they found the tracks and that happened, I don't know, three or four times. The, uh, the creature 
and I should say creatures because there there were different sized tracks seen you know on the ground out there indicating a family unit of these things but uh, they would pound on the back of the house and scream and one night uh, Mrs. Ringer said it was after her husband had died she heard uh, what sounded like handfuls of gravel being tossed up on the roof right below her second story bedroom window and in interviewing her and, and I talked with her numerous times and went out and visited with her I even stayed all night on her couch one night when she'd been having activity thinking maybe something would come around while I was out there and it didn't but she would throw garbage out over the fence and they had this barn <clears throat> where the creatures could go in whenever they felt you know they needed to get in out of the cold weather they were never chased off with a firearm or anything like that um, they they allowed uh, deer hunters to come out on the property but nobody had ever run into them and scared them away they'd never been shot at or chased away so i think they just felt comfortable out there and you know it's like when you start feeding a stray dog you're, you're not going to cause it to leave it's just going to come back around you know expecting another handout well the uh, the funny thing was when we were reading the evidence on the page of uh, the book the locals and we we came to the part about uh, fruit trees getting stripped mrs ringer's mouth flew open and she said that happened here she said they do that too I said yeah what happened she said well i've got a beautiful apple tree in the backyard and one fall day I got out of the car and walked past that apple tree and I said boy that thing's just loaded I'm gonna have to get the ladder out of the garage and come out here and pick those apples and she said it wasn't but a day or two later she noticed every one of those apples was missing clear up high around that tree all the way around where something had reached up and she said that uh, there's no neighbors there's no houses within sight of her place and there was no ladder laying around where somebody could have come up and got it and she didn't hear anybody do it it, it happened in the night and, and we think that a enterprising bigfoot or two come in and pick the apples at night and took them so uh, their story is uh, there's several pages pertaining to the ringer family in the first book um, some of the other examples of uh, evidence is mutilated animals. We had a fella that came up to us at Salt Fork when we were, we had a vendor's table at a uh, Bigfoot conference about three years ago. This man came up to us and started talking to us and showed us some pictures on his telephone, his cell phone, and he found this poor dead doe deer at Salt Fork State Park off of uh, Road 52. It was kind of tucked away back in a little cave-like area. And we've got a picture of it there. Um, let me get my pointer out here. This goes, this goes back in quite a ways and you can actually, I, I believe, come up through the top of it. It's out of the frame here. But Matt and his two sons were out exploring and walking up that road and looking around and they saw some turkey vultures flying around and they thought, well, there must be something dead over there because there's vultures. So they got down in that ravine and found that cave and this deer was tucked back in under, clear back in there, and the mouth was broken. It had been hyperextended to the point where it broke the jaws the neck was broken the belly of the animal had been ripped open not cut but ripped and all the guts were laying out on the ground and the liver was missing and it was a fresh kill he said the, the blood was still wet on the rocks there was no signs of where anything had eaten off of it coyotes or possums or anything like that the, the vultures hadn't even started on it yet so uh, something had 
killed this poor animal and stashed it down in that rock pile and took the liver out of it. So I did some uh, Google investigations on the internet and Googled up deer kills and Bigfoot and found out that that's not really all that unusual. Other people have found deer in that same condition where they've been ripped open and the guts are out and the liver's gone. A lot of times there's also a leg broken where they they think that the animal was actually run down by Bigfoot and, and he caught it by a leg and snapped the leg and dropped it and then killed it. So that's another example of uh, evidence. Okay, tree and stick structures. Okay, this particular structure is one that Shauna and I found at Salt Fork on Rocky Fork Road. We were actually driving around in the winter time. I guess maybe early spring rather than winter. The leaves weren't up yet. And we saw this from the road and uh, got out and looked at it. And I'm not going to say 100% that it could not have been man-made, but this thing was jammed in there very tight, and these long trees were, were heavy. But the neat thing about it was there were no tree stumps right there where you know the trees had fallen over to indicate, well, it could have been natural occurring. Something or someone had carried them in from somewhere else and put them in this configuration. So, again, we did some uh, investigative work on the internet with other Bigfoot friends of ours from all over the U.S. and Canada, and we found several of these structures, and a lot of them are almost identical in shape to what we found. Um, the one that really, yeah, this one here is almost exactly like what we found, and that's from British Columbia. So it makes me wonder, you know, what does that configuration mean? Is that some kind of a sign for Bigfoot? You know, are they making those to warn people off or to communicate with other Bigfoot, or is it some type of art, or, or just exactly what is it? Um, we don't know. There's, you know, there's a lot we don't know. We need to uh, try to work together on this. All the researchers share information and see if we can come up with some answers. Uh, a lot of the researchers don't want to do that. They want to go out and hopefully they think they'll make the discovery and they'll become rich and famous from this. But that hasn't happened yet. Now this structure here is more like a teepee structure. And it, again, was found from over at Salt Fork. And... Um, you can actually go clear back in behind this and conceal yourself. And since it was found right by a game trail, we kind of think that's possibly what it was, was a like a hunting blind where they could uh, get in behind this and wait for an unsuspecting deer to come by and, and uh, come out and have a deer dinner that night. Um, another type of structure is uh, you're going to put that inverted tree up or what uh, yeah inverted trees I was totally unaware of this until I read in, in one of my uh, Bigfoot books uh, Raincoast Sasquatch is the title of the book J. Robert Alley is the author and these pictures came from uh, it was either Alaska or British Columbia of these trees that had been pulled up out of the ground and inverted and shoved back down into the ground and they couldn't find any markings on the trees themselves that indicated where any chains or cables or anything like that had been put around them to have done this. And it would have taken heavy equipment or helicopters to do it and they said that that didn't happen because of the cost involved and where they found them. And um, we found other examples. We, we personally haven't found any ourselves like that, but we found other examples in books, you know, and pictures in books and on, on the Internet. Uh, 
what that means, there again, I don't know. It's some sort of a marker of some sort. But um, it, was, it would definitely get my attention if I were to find a tree like that out in the woods. Of course, tracks. We have found tracks. Um, a handful of times over at Salt Fork, we've found tracks actually in, in the same area quite often. Now, this particular track is a, a right foot, and we didn't have the tape measure with us that day, so we put the old dollar bill down, which is roughly six inches long, to give you an idea of what size it was. There were uh, three particular tracks in that trackway, and each track was about three to four feet from the other one, the one either in front or behind it. Um, another set of tracks is from the, the Ringer property in the snow. This is a trackway, and if you'll look, let me get my pointer again. When they walk, they seem to have a straight, they, they seem to have a straight inline gait, like a uh, girl on a balance beam or somebody on a, a uh, tightrope. You know, in other words, one foot in front of the other, as opposed to how humans walk with a staggered gait. Um, this is another footprint from the ringers. Uh, another one from the ringers. These were around 19 to 20 inches long, and I think they were 62 inches apart. Uh, this particular cast is um, from Salt Fork State Park. The fellow holding it was camping out there in uh, June, what, about three years ago, the main campground, and they, uh, they found the tracks behind the campsite where it had come up the hill, and he actually had plaster with him because they'd found some tracks the day before that... Uh, they thought they were wolf or something, but I, I think they were coyote or a very large dog, but they had plaster with them. But anyway, when he went to pull the cast out of the ground, it broke, and he kept the important half with the showing the toes on there. So he sent it to Cliff on the Finding Bigfoot program. Cliff sent it to Dr. Meldrum out in Idaho State University, he authenticated it and made two or three copies and sent everything back to Walter. And Walter gave our Sospe group one of the copies of it. So that's how we've got it. And I think we've got that on the table up here, too. <clears throat> that's from Salt Fork. Um, more tracks. Uh, what else have we have that we haven't put up there yet? Uh, nests. Okay, tree twists. Here's another, uh, it's, it's actually, my opinion of this is it's a, a show of strength. I think it's possibly from like a alpha male that's, um, he's uh, marking his territory just like a dog will do where he takes a leak on a tree or a fire hydrant. Uh, these <coughs> tree pins or bows Another twist. Now, some of these are ones that we've found at Salt Fork, and other ones are from friends on Facebook. That's not to say you will never see something like this that doesn't occur naturally, because sometimes you will. I know when we had that big storm a few years ago at the end of June, there were probably trees that looked just like that. But what we're showing you are pictures of trees that have been found with other tangible evidence to go along with it. Like there was a sighting that took place or they actually found tracks or, you know, they heard screams, but there was something else to indicate that it was Bigfoot related. Uh, nests. Um, this particular nest that was found up around the Akron-Canton area. That's George Clappis and he and uh, Jody Cook were up there on an investigation years ago. Somebody had seen a Bigfoot and they went up to 
investigate it and they found this nest and they got into the thing. It was pretty much like an igloo and it was quite cozy inside, but they didn't really find any uh, any tracks or hair or anything like that on the inside. But one interesting thing that Jody Cook told me was he went back up to that same area later on and the thing was gone. You know, they had been in it and it was completely gone and all the materials and everything was gone and nobody claims to have done it. So we think, you know, maybe the Bigfoot that, that built it, uh, once, once it knew the men had been in there, it decided to tear it down and move on somewhere else because they couldn't find it. Um, this is one that we found at Salt Fork that we, oh, isn't it? Okay, this is one that we found at Salt Fork that we we kept coming back to over a period of like every week or so, and it was bigger every time we came back. And after we got to looking at it, we suspected that it wasn't uh, you know the real thing; it was man-made. And so we had some other researchers look at it, and that was their conclusion because some of the vines were tied together with square knots and the opening to get in the thing which we unfortunately don't have a picture of the opening because it was on the other side but it was only about two feet wide and Shauna went in crawled around inside and uh, she had to turn sideways to get in and we thought well you know if, if a real Bigfoot who's shoulders are three and a half to four foot wide is going to make something like that it's going to make a bigger doorway than that on there so we think that was just somebody making something right before one of the bigfoot conferences to try to pass it off as as real uh, evidence so does anyone have any questions on uh, on evidence has anybody found anything like that or heard anything or um do you want to hear some uh, Bigfoot sounds? We, we've got sound, right? Sean? Okay. We're going to put some sounds up here and let you hear them. Yeah. Okay, this is the Ohio Howl. This was recorded in Columbiana County. Do you remember the year? 1994, Matt Moneymaker from the BFRO recorded this. some of the actual presentations or some of the investigations that we've been on. <clears throat> okay, um, let's start with uh, Guernsey County. Uh, there's a fellow, this story is in the, in the new book, Hidden Encounters. There's a fellow that lives in Senecaville named Tom Pretty. And Tom had been hired by some of the deer hunters who would camp over there in the group camping area, the same place where we have our Bigfoot campouts. Anyway, they, they hired Tom to deliver firewood up there so they'd have you know, wood to burn while they were deer hunting. So Tom, uh, this was about two years ago, and about this time of year in October, 
he delivered the wood and he had a friend with him in the truck and he said after we get all that wood unloaded we're going to go back up the road to the little bridge here over the creek this is on Parker Road right off of Route 22 and we're going we're gonna to fish in that creek and see what's in there because I've always wondered what was so they pulled over parked on a wide spot in the road got out and grabbed their fishing stuff walked down a well-worn path to a, an area and um, sat down in the tall grass now this picture you, you see ice on the water that's because the picture was taken in January but this actually took place in October so they sat down in the tall grass to rig up their fishing poles and as they were sitting there they started hearing noise across the creek in the tall grass on the other side so Tom said I kept stringing the line up through the guides on my rod and I kept watching across the creek there to see what was coming and I could see the, the grass moving and something was getting almost down to the water when all of a sudden this head poked its way out through the grass and turned and looked up one side of the creek and down the other and then here comes an arm with hair all over it and fingers and then another arm it was down on all fours and I said well what did the head look like it was like a like a a human but, but like an ape or a monkey or something and it was down on all fours and it didn't see us sitting there in the grass it, uh, is it on? It, uh, it, it stayed on all fours. It, it continued down to the edge of the water and stuck its head down, started drinking out of that muddy creek. This Eddy family, mom and dad, and I believe three kids were out at Salt Fork on Memorial Day weekend a couple of years ago. Sosby actually had a uh, camp out going on at the group camping area. So we're sitting around the fire. It was just before dark. I get a phone call from a lady named uh, Michelle who is the sister of Mrs. Eddie. And she says, are you guys out at Salt Fork? I says, yeah, are you coming out? She says, listen, my sister and her family are out there right now and they had a Bigfoot sighting and they're sitting up on top of the Morgan's Knob trail on that picnic table and they're scared to death and the kids are crying and can you send somebody up there? I said, it's done, don't worry. We sent seven people up there and I know some of the some of the people in the crowd I've seen here today were up there. I know uh, 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 Dave was there, and uh, Dave uh, Blue Tracker, and Mark Hudak, and uh, Denny, and Chris, and but anyway, seven people went up there and talked to the family. And what had happened was they were out there just hiking, and you know they maybe picnicked earlier in the day decided to go up to uh, the Morgan's Knob Trail. When they got clear to the top of the hill, uh, it's a good little walk up there. So when they get to the top of the hill, mom and dad have to sit down at the picnic table and catch their breath. The kids continued on over the hill, down into the trees, and uh, you know they were exploring around. After five minutes or so, the parents heard cries and screams coming from the woods. Something had happened to the kids. So Mr. Eddie gets up, runs down the hill to the tree line, finds the children in hysterics, and two of them ran back up the hill as soon as they saw their dad. Went clear back up to the hill to the picnic table to the safety of their mother. The dad found out from the third kid that was still there that they had seen this Bigfoot 
and it peeked out from around, from behind a tree and scared him. So this, now this picture was taken later. This wasn't at the same day. But this is the actual tree that they said the thing was peeking around from. Let me see your pointer here. And I want to show you. This is about, uh, I think, six feet high right here. You notice this tree has a bend in it. Okay, the kids <coughs> provided drawings for us as to what they saw. And I want you to look at the similarities here. <clears throat> this is the older daughter, I believe. There's the tree, and this is the head of the thing peeking around. The little girl, who was about five years old, she's got the same tree with the bend in it. She didn't call it a Bigfoot. What did she call it? A, a shadow man. The uh, boy, he actually saw the Bigfoot out in the open and I guess it had been chasing deer and there was more than one Bigfoot we feel because when we sent the seven researchers up that night to find out what was going on they reported hearing tree knocks from two or three different locations and what we think it was was just the family happened in on a deer hunt by these Sasquatches on Morgan's Knob. So after the, you know, the, the researchers got to the family and calmed the kids down and brought them down off the hill, it was, I think it was dark by the time they come back in. But uh, this story was picked up and uh, televised on that uh, Destination America channel. However, the, the mother uh, did tell me that she thought that the uh, program itself kind of portrayed that maybe the Bigfoot was after the kids and she said no we don't we don't feel it was that they were ever after the kids they were definitely after the deer and the kids you know just happened to be there at the, at the right time to see it so uh, that's another story from Salt 